Let's say hello to our old friend from WGN Channel 9. It is Tom Skilling. I haven't talked to you forever. How are you? Pete McMurray, it's a pleasure to talk with you. I'm doing well. How are you doing? It has been too long. You know, you are always so great. You extend invitations. And, uh, you know, I'm just like a crazy man over here getting ready for, you know, graphics ready for the TV. And so uh, it never seems to jive. But we've gotten together finally. And how about that? Right in the midst of COVID-19 on top of it. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, congratulations on everything. I'm glad you're healthy and safe. How are you feeling? We haven't talked in person, so I want to know from your mouth, how are you feeling? Oh, I feel I feel wonderful, Pete. You know, I had that gastric bypass. Yes, uh, and I've my God, I've done uh, eighty two pounds now, Pete. I I've got to be honest with you. Uh, it, it, the whole thing is amazing. You do six months of prep, and I I had no idea how I feel, but I feel great. I'm eating little two and three ounce uh, meals, which sounds horrible. It isn't. They're protein oriented. Yep. And uh, I don't feel hungry. They staple off seven eighths of your stomach and then divide your intestines in two and route it to the lower. So you're both, you've cut volume and you've cut the processing area in your abdominal tract. And the bottom line is, it's like miracle. The pounds drop off. And thank goodness, I, I, you know, I got to the point, Pete, I needed help. Uh, and no amount of dieting or exercising would have done it all by itself, not for me. So it's nice of you to ask. <laughs> well, good for you, Tom. Think about that. 82 pounds that you don't have to carry around anymore. You have to feel fantastic. It, it's amazing. You know what I keep thinking of? I remember when Oprah, Oprah Winfrey lost all that weight. Oh, yeah. And I remember she wheeled out this huge <laughs> plastic sack of chicken, yep. chicken parts, and said, here's the equivalent of what I've lost. And, you know, you have no idea what there is to lose until you see it, you know, put across like that. But it, uh, it's terrific. I, I, you know, I was going into first stage diabetes. And my father was heavy. I come by it naturally. It's, uh, you know, in the genes. Right. And and ultimately suffered a terrible stroke. And I thought, you know, uh, I watched what he went through, the poor devil. And I thought, if there's any way to avoid that, I better try. So we'll see what happens with it. But it's it's going well. It really is. Well, Tom, do you have to buy new clothes? If you lost 82 pounds, you need a new tailor. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you know what's amazing? Uh, I've got a lot of uh, casual stuff I had sitting in the closet, figuring I'd never, ever, ever, ever again get close to put, getting into it. And it's a joy to put it on and actually fit in it. And in terms of, uh, you know, formal clothes, uh, yeah, I bought new suits. And uh, and now what's interesting is the weight loss continues. So um, you re-alter those uh, to keep up with the uh, bus and wing. The joy it is to be going that way instead of the other way, which had been <laughs> had been the case for it. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating. I said to my doctor, how in heaven's name did you guys in the medical profession, uh, guys and gals, ever figure out how to do this? And right. uh, he just smiled. It It is amazing what what they can do with modern medicine. Well, Tom, they uh, change lives. I mean, look at I, just hearing your voice, how happy you sound. I mean, you're, you've lost 82 pounds. What's the end yeah. game? How much weight do you want to lose? What's perfect for you? 
Well, you know what? I thought I'd, uh, they say that this goes on about a, a year after your operation. Uh, my surgery was in early March. Um, and I was thinking of getting down to, you know, under 200. I, they, they say the ideal weight for somebody of my height is 190 in that range. Okay. So I'm going to, you know, try and do that. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll kind of let nature take its course and uh, religiously stick by the diet and all. But, uh, yeah, people are probably getting tired of hearing me talk about it. But it, it, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a, it's a fascinating process to watch. You're, uh, you're very curious yourself about how you're going to feel, how it's, you know, whether it's going to work and to see it actually doing it. It's, it's pretty amazing. It really is. I'd, well, I'd I'd highly recommend anybody who's thinking about it and maybe put it off because I had pondered this for several years and uh, I finally thought I'm going to take the plunge. I talked to my, my doctor and I said, you know, uh, I'm thinking of this. She said, you're a candidate. And so the rest is history. Went down to Northwestern, and uh, boy, they have a great group down there, and that's where it was done. Oh yeah, I so. mean it's a it's a game changer, which is fantastic. Now, is. since since you lost eighty two pounds, are you walking? Are you moving around more because you feel better? Yeah, you know, I, we've all been pretty sequestered with this COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. um, and so and particularly after the surgery, I've been careful. And the station told us they want us all staying home. They're starting now to open up a bit, but I I work from home, which frankly scared the living daylights out of me because I you know working with this technology, if there's any way for things to go wrong, and uh, you know these computers and all seem to read uh, my DNA when I get close to them, they think, oh here's loser, let's malfunction. You, <laughs> you and me both, I get so, it. Uh, But it actually has worked pretty well. And, you know, the wonderful thing about the home weather office, I'm up here on the north side, um, is I have a window. You know, Pete, it's amazing. I've done this for 50 years, half a century. Right. And I never had an operative window in my office. I had beautiful TV monitors that showed me, in a way, were better than a window because they were from cameras up on the Hancock or Willis Tower or something like that. But I never had a window that I could actually open and have real live air blowing in on me and look out the window and see what's going on. So uh, It's nice, yeah. isn't it? You know, I remember one of my early weather texts saying, uh, you know, because people say, look out the window when they talk to people in my line of work. Early weather texts making a, a yeah. valid point. They said, anything you can see out the window, given the time range you're attempting to forecast the weather, it's generally not going to help you all that much. You've got to go to, you know, remote sensing satellites and stuff. And it is true. Yes. But uh, but it, it's been fun. It really has to uh, have a window and be working from home. Right. Uh, Tom, I'm going to have you hold on. We're going to check traffic and take a break. But I want to ask you about the sure. uh, Godzilla dust cloud, because I've seen the satellite yeah. pictures from NASA, <laughs> and they're just crazy. And the desert locusts. No one can answer the desert locust question if they're going to make it over to the United States. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you about that, too, okay? <laughs> All right. Tom Skilling on the line with us from WGN-TV. Let's take a look at traffic. Lauren? We're talking with Tom Skilling from WGN-TV. Of course, you can see Tom doing the uh, weather. By the way, Joe Donlin getting a new job that's been all over the news. I would like to uh, volunteer to anchor the 9 o'clock news if you need someone, Tom. You got it. I'll put in a word for you. And you know how... That and about uh, four hundred thousand dollars will probably get you the job. You know, <laughs> yes. it's just 
Because believe me, in the pecking order of people they listen to, I'm not on it. I'm afraid, Pete. So it doesn't do a lot of good. But I, I love working with you. I think it'd be great. Well, I, I think we do work well together. Tom, I got to ask you, we had Demetrius Ivory on yesterday, and he tried to explain the yeah. Godzilla dust cloud. Can you explain yeah. this? How does it start, and how did it make its way over to the Atlantic? Well, why don't you hear this? Uh, you know, we talk about the uh, source region being the Saharan air region of northern Africa. The fact is, um, if you look at satellite imagery, the dust cloud actually started way over in uh, the desert of eastern, I'm sorry, western China. Uh, and this thing extended more than 12,600 miles, far beyond the, you know, 5,000 from Africa. Um, what happened in Africa and what kept it going was unusually strong easterly winds there. You know, at that latitude, the winds blow from east to west. We call them the tropical easterlies. And they're the wind regime within which hurricanes and tropical storms are embedded. Uh, and they run along and just north of the equator by 10 or 20 degrees, up to 30 degrees uh, latitude. So anyway, this thing um, was uh, propelled by and, and reinforced by strong winds from the east off Africa. And all wind on the planet is the result of temperature variation. Assume that, uh, you know, uh, abnormal heat yeah. relative to uh, cooler temps to the north set up these winds. And uh, the, the dust cloud goes up to altitudes of 20,000, 30,000 feet. And you watch it on satellite. We have a, a breed of satellite imagery today we never used to have. I mean, this stuff is incredible. Right. And there are all kinds of infrared sensors that look down at it. So you can really take these clouds apart and look at how they're moving. Uh, but that's how it started. And you mentioned locusts before. That's another plague on, uh, you know, parts of the African continent. Yeah, this is awful, and this has happened since biblical time, these uh, locust outbreaks. Uh, they're driven oftentimes by weather conditions. I guess uh, moist weather is, is one of the factors. But these things are insidious. They don't bite humans. Uh, they just eat everything in their path. And so, you know, this is a region that struggles to produce food anyway for many of its people. So uh, this has been an absolute disaster for them. Um, and it's not occurring just in Africa. It's occurring in parts of the Middle East and even over into Southeast Asia. Um, now, will they come here? I'm not an insect expert. I, I do know that, um, you know, they find dust from Africa that winds up in the Amazon uh, Valley of uh, South America. And in fact, this dust carries nutrients across the Atlantic and the wind into South America. But in terms of locusts, you would think there's a limit to how far they would be blown in the wind. You would think. Uh, but yeah. Let's hope so. We don't need that, you know. We've got these killer bees they talk about that are coming up. I don't know what it, they, you oh. know, they we're told they're not really killer bees. But uh, the last thing we need is an, a locust infestation. What is the difference, Tom, between locusts and cicadas? Are they in the same family? Um, again, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll preface these comments by saying I'm not an expert. But apparently there is a difference. And I've read it, and I don't know enough about it to, to, to speak authoritatively on it, but there is a difference between the two of them. Okay. Uh, whether they're in the same family, you would sure think they would be. Right. But again, I'll, uh, 
I, I, you know, I'll default to somebody who really knows something about Pete. That's a good question to run by our insect folks. Yes, I'm sure someone's listening that can answer that question. And Tom, back to the uh, the sure. Godzilla dust cloud, 3,500 yeah. miles long. It's traveled 6,000 miles. So we don't really have to worry about it in Illinois, especially this weekend. But um, the southern states... Actually, Pete, we did have dust, and we had some beautiful sunsets, and... Um, NASA runs a GEOS model, they call it, G-E-O-S. And this model is uh, good at tracking and predicting the movement of dust clouds. So uh, dust did make it into the Midwest uh, last weekend, and there was satellite imagery where you could see it on the periphery of the thunderstorms. The one good thing about having thunderstorms is they precipitate some of this stuff out. Uh, one of the mechanisms that nature uses to cleanse itself. Wow. Tom, it's amazing that you can answer these questions right off the top of your head. I know you're an expert, a weather expert. You've been doing this for 50 years. Did you ever do, uh, did you ever do anything else before weather, or did you always want to grow up and be a weather person? No, I, you know what? I've been a weather crazy since I was a kid. You know, I used to have paper routes, and I, I, I saved a little 3 and $4 a week. I earned. I always dreamed of buying a bedroom radar set. Never quite reached that one, but I did investigate it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I tell young people, be too dumb to know you're not so able to do what you want to do and at least try. And so I tried, but I never made it. So now as an adult, I work with radar. But, you know, it's always fascinated me. I don't know where that came from. Nobody in the family's in this line of work. I had a psychic one tell me, uh, once tell me that I had been a ship captain in a previous life. Oh, wow. And I don't know whether I believe in all that or not, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's it. My parents couldn't figure out what they'd done wrong, you know, just to get a weather forecaster. Were you one of those they, kids? They were you one of those kids that went over to uh, Radio Shack and got the weather devices and put them together? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I remember having a Lionel weather station, which and now there are all kinds of amazing electronic weather stations any of us can get. But, oh, and I get the catalogs of weather instruments, and I dream about, I look at these uh, weather service approved uh, anemometers and uh, sling psychrometers and stuff like that. Well, I couldn't what? afford most of the stuff. But, uh, you know, my prize instruments as an early weather enthusiast uh, were the uh, min-max thermometer I bought and then a, something called a sling psychrometer. This is something you whirl around and you put on. I have no idea what you're water. talking about. That's so funny. Well, that measures humidity. Okay. And it, you know, and I remember it cost like $12, which oh. for me was... Big money. Quite an outlay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And my prize instrument was an anemometer I got. My dad knew somebody who worked for Taylor Instrument Company and got us the thing at half price. I think we paid $50 for it. Well, if you bought it today, uh, you know, it'd be hundreds of dollars. But it was a cheap version of a, an anemometer is a wind measurement thing. It's those three cups you see spinning out at the airport. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I know, yeah. I know. And, and then there are wind vanes too, and that can measure. There's a little propeller on the front of them uh, that measures wind speed too. But uh, yeah, I used to look at that stuff and dream about it. Nutty, huh? Oh my gosh! Uh, and while other kids were going to the ballpark, I got on the train and went into the University of Chicago, and that's where the wet, then Weather Bureau uh, forecast office was down on Woodland Avenue, and they did the forecasting for Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan, all out of that one office. And this is pre-computer age. 
And then they had the radar. The radar was right near the Science and Industry Museum on the south side. Wow. It later moved out to Marseilles, and now it's moved to Romeoville, but you had the antenna there. The problem was that put the whole metro area in ground clutter which wasn't easy to cancel out on those days. So they figured better to move the radar, uh, you know, outside the city and ultimately did that. But yeah, that was, that was fun to go down there and see the, uh, and what where year? they actually did the What year was that? Tom? Oh gosh, this would be the early mid sixties, I guess. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. You were doing that as a kid. They had a, yeah. Sounds fun. Doesn't it? I, I, I love I, it. I had a riot. <laughs> I thought it was great. And before you go, you got to give me uh, the uh, 4th of July um, uh, forecast. What are we looking at this weekend? A lot of people are going to be taking off for Michigan, Wisconsin this weekend. People are going to be staying here. Are we going to see rain, sun, hot and humid? Hot, hot and humid. I mean, the classic I'll July 4th holiday weekend. And you know what's going to happen, Pete? In these thunderstorms, like the ones that popped up yesterday and will pop up in scattered fashion today and tomorrow, we're going to build a big dome of hot air over the center of the country. And as that heat you know, uh, moves into the upper reaches of the atmosphere, we'll shut down some of the thunderstorm development from all indications. So we're just going to have heat, humidity, light winds, lake breezes right on the shoreline. That'll temper, you know, maybe mid 80s on the shoreline, yep. uh, while there'll be low and mid 90s inland, and little light easterly afternoon winds off the lake. But the air will be getting stagnant, so there'll be some haze in the air, and I imagine we'll ultimately have some pollution issues uh, with this kind of pattern because we're in a U.S. blocking pattern, and things are not going to move very fast. Well, I'll take the humidity and the sun. I will absolutely take that 100%. Tom, it's great to hear your voice, man. I'm glad we connected this week. Pete, it's so nice to talk to you. I always enjoy doing that. And look, happy for it. You too. Stay healthy and safe through all this craziness. And uh, I look forward to the next time we talk. I do too. Have a uh, great fourth. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Pete. That is uh, Tom Skilling, everybody. News is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom.